Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of How I Built It, episode 87 to be exact. Today I get to talk to my friend Tessa Creasel about two things I love, development and teaching. We get into our approaches to teaching and why it's so important and we also talk about giving opportunities to underserved areas and groups. We also discuss our aha moments, that time where programming suddenly clicked for us. Today's episode is brought to you by the Events Calendar and Pantheon, both of whom you'll hear about later. So for now, on with the show. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of How I Built It, the podcast that asks, how did you build that? Today, I am very happy to have my good friend Tessa Creasel on the show today. Tessa, how are you? I am fabulous. Thank you for having me. Oh, thanks for being on the show. You are a woman of many hats. We were discussing pre-show what we're going to talk about. So you work for Pantheon and you teach development and you you have a website called Outspoken Women. We're going to talk about that middle one. But why don't you uh, why don't you tell everybody who you are and what you do? Yeah. So, you know, to summarize what you already said, I work at Pantheon. I'm a developer advocate. The things that I focus on are making sure that people are successful on our platform. Outside of my role at Pantheon, I have a lot of passions when it comes to teaching people to code in general, specifically like women and children and anyone who is in a group that feels like they need to find assets or it's more difficult to find those kinds of assets. Obviously, very passionate about diversity and women in tech, which is where Outspoken Women comes along and have played a huge role in Girl Develop It locally in the Minneapolis chapter. So lots to know about me. Fantastic. And all uh, just awesome causes. You know, I know that I've gotten just a little bit of flack for not having a very diverse show myself. And part of that is uh, it's hard to find diverse guests, especially like programmers who are also business owners. That's a very narrow market. So uh, your website, Outspoken Women, has helped with that. And it's it's nice to see that there's a, a bigger movement to kind of have more voices in the community, which is what all of this is about, right? Yeah, absolutely. Sweet. So if you want to learn more about Pantheon, I'll say, because we can have a whole show on that. As a matter of fact, <laughs> we did have a whole show on that with the CEO of Pantheon. I will link that in the show notes. So let's talk about teaching development as the overarching topic and coders of tomorrow specifically within that, right? So tell us how you came up with this idea and essentially what it is and how you started it. Yeah. So Coders of Tomorrow is a nonprofit organization that is in the very early stages uh, locally here in Minneapolis. And what it is and, and essentially what it does is it teaches kids to code. So it, it came about, I was in the Girl Develop It chapter and I was helping a lot of women to code. We were going through the whole election with Hillary and Trump. And, and obviously there's a lot of, you know, a lot of, I don't know the good word for it, like just a lot of like kind of tension there. Mm -hmm. And so it came to me that I was like, you know what? Like kids are so innocent. Like my own kids love to learn stuff. Like I don't, I don't want to deal with people that, and not that I don't, but it's like, I just wanted to like hang out with a bunch of cool people that just wanted to learn to code that, that didn't have to worry about other things in their life politically, especially. And so that's when it came about. And I ended up teaching two different classes of kids originally, but we can get into that in a bit, but that's essentially like, you know, kind of how I decided to build up that, that product or, or that organization, I should say. Sweet. Yeah. So I, I, I mean, I, I love that because while politics can get very hairy, I try not to talk about politics on this show at all. I think I've done a pretty good job, <laughs> but you know, it, I mean, it's, it could change people's opinions about 
you, right? So I love the teaching kids. I know, I know, like on Twitter, people are like, what am I supposed to tell my six year old daughter about the election? I'm like, I, when I was six, I cared very little <laughs> about anything, <laughs> exactly. really. So, Keep them it, this is, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, this is, this is great. What's the age range for, uh, for the kids that you teach? So, it really kind of depends. The first class that I taught was actually, I believe it was like eighth through 11th graders. They were in like that high school realm, which was interesting. And then I've also taught a younger group that is more like middle school ages. I'm hoping to be able to grow and like teach actually younger kids. I've done a lot with my own kids personally to teach them kind of the introductions to programming and things. And so, yeah, so hoping for it to to grow. Awesome. So I'm going to have several more questions about this because <laughs> I've thought about how do you approach teaching children specifically, right? Like with an adult, you can say, well, watch these videos and you probably <laughs> understand some certain concepts, but it's a little bit different with kids. I have a 14 month old and I'm not teaching her how to code yet, but it's definitely in the back of my mind. I definitely want her to at least have the option to do that. So, but first, uh, did you do any research when you were starting this or were you just like, this is cool. I haven't seen anything. I'm going to do this. I did actually do a little bit of research. Uh, there is Coder Dojo, which is pretty widely known. They're a really great organization that does something very similar. And then there are other organizations in different areas. So there wasn't anything that is that I could find that was more nationwide. There was a program, and I can't remember what it was called or where it was at, but it was a lot of the things that I really wanted to do. And so I I definitely looked at that organization. I was like, this is really great. Like, this is something I want to bring to Minneapolis. It's slightly different. But what I really wanted to do is I actually wanted to be able to have an offering as like an after-school activity. And so why it got to that point was that the first class that I taught ended up actually being that way. And what happened is it was a class of students. They were, like I said, middle school, high school students mostly high school. And they were of they were from a school that was, I would say, 85% Hispanic, which is fairly uncommon in Minneapolis. Like we're we have some diversity, but we're lacking a really wide diversity here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People, stereotypically it's like Prince is the only not white yeah. person from Minneapolis, right? <laughs> <laughs> or from Minnesota rather, yeah. Right. And I mean it's it's partially true. We we do struggle with diversity here for sure. And so teaching in that type of a school was was very unique. And so a lot of the students were were troubled students. Some of them I mean, I saw some of the saddest things and I'm going to try to think about it because it makes me want to cry. But I mean, like anything from like kids who just didn't even barely have shoes. And I just, I wanted to like get, they had shoes, but you know, they were just like, so, so destroyed and, and whatever else. And anyways, so ended up getting really involved with those students specifically and realizing that this was actually something that was keeping them from being out doing things on the street or getting in trouble or being at home when home actually isn't a great place for them. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I wanted to focus a lot of the energy was like offering an after-school curriculum. Kids can stay. It's convenient for them to stay, making sure that they had, you know, whatever that meant so that they were safe instead of being out doing things that they shouldn't be doing. Man, that's that's great. So after-school activity, uh, this is probably also something that lends itself really well to like a summer camp sort of thing, right? When kids are home and parents might be going crazy because their kids are home and bored. That's I wish actually, I was yeah. going to that summer camp thing was actually a huge idea that we have not followed through with yet. Uh, and it's really due to just like lack of manpower. I do a lot of mm-hmm. stuff myself and it's really hard to 
get the like get the people that can help me do that. But that was one really huge idea that myself and and uh, some his name is Andrew Wilson. He actually also works for Pantheon. He helped get involved and has been helping kind of ignite the energy, which is great. But we talked about a summer camp because why not like kick off with a summer camp, like get some foundational, like get out, you know, do something. Mm-hmm. Don't be stuck at home playing video games right. or whatever. Like get out of your house and yeah. So we very much want to make that happen. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and then you know, show kids that you can code a little bit, but then spend some time outside and have an outside activity as well. Because, the, you know, the stereotypical programmer just sits in front of their computer for 14 hours. And, but in any case, yeah, so that this is incredible. So let's, I have a lot of questions about this. So let's just get, get to the title question early. How, when teaching children, as I said, it's a little bit different than teaching adults. So how did you build the curriculum for coders for uh, of tomorrow? Yeah, actually, I feel like teaching children is definitely different because you can't assume things that they might know in terms of this is how you like go save something on a computer or this is how you I mean, they've got some exposure to it, but they don't have the day to day use that most adults have. And so when building out the curriculum, I just took it really slow and I had there's tons of websites out there that are super great for teaching you to code like W3 schools is super awesome. You can go ahead and like dig through it actually do coding examples, things like that. So what I did was I, I I made an outline of the foundational things that I wanted them to be able to learn. And what I found out was most successful was figuring out a way to get them something on the internet as quick as possible. Because as soon as they could FTP something to the internet and see that live online, that was like a huge turning point for them. I had students come into the class that like I could tell that they were just, so they have to take a curriculum, an extra or after school curriculum class at the school. And so I could tell that they were there just because they had to do it. And it was like Mm -hmm. the least worst one or like the, you know, the, the less, the less of the evil of all the others. And once I got them to a point of being able to like, just push up a really quick HTML on the internet, it was a complete 360 turnaround. Everyone is excited to come. They wanted to be there. They started wanting to be my friend. They would actually chat with me. And so I I learned that quickly that they needed something to be able to see. And so teaching them the basic foundations of HTML, like this is how you create an HTML document. Here's how you create a header. Here's a paragraph. And that's like the bare minimum to, of course, create a website. And so teaching them that, and then I'm like, okay, cool, we're going to come back to this, but I want you to, I want you to see that you can very easily get these files on the internet. And so we just walked through at the very bare minimum, a server, how to connect to FTP, you know, how to actually push those files over. And so doing that. And then once we got through that, then we came back and we're like, okay, let's learn more HTML. Let's learn some CSS. And so it was just taking the foundational things and figuring out like what was going to trigger their happiness and then moving forward. So CSS was another thing that also triggered their happiness. Like kids like to be creative and they really enjoyed like putting gifts in their website and like images mm-hmm. and like making things colorful. And and so, you know, it, it really was just a, a kind of work in progress too. Like in the beginning, I had an idea and I as the the days or kind of classes went on, I started to change those a little bit as I realized that like them seeing the actual end effect was more important to them. Today's episode is brought to you by Pantheon. WordPress 5.0 and the new editor Gutenberg are coming. Are you prepared? Do you want to learn about the changes in advance? Pantheon has gathered resources to help you prepare, including webinars and tutorials. Pantheon also has made it easy and free to try Gutenberg with your site before the official launch. 
visit pantheon.io slash Gutenberg. Let them know that How I Built It sent you. And now, back to the show. Gotcha. So, I mean, some, some little victories, right? Right in the beginning. It's, it's like when you design a test, you don't make the hardest question the first question. You want to give them an easy question in the beginning because it'll build their confidence and be like, this isn't so bad. That's awesome. So I probably know the answer to this question already, but you mentioned servers. Did you use Pantheon for the servers as the kind of underlying architecture where you like, get some cheap hosting over here? <laughs> I actually did not use Pantheon. Okay. So we just used a really, I have like a VPS that I had set up so each student could have their own website if they wanted. And so we used that just so that they could go ahead and use those websites. However, on the flip side, like very much could use Pantheon. It's, it's super easy to set up a site and it's obviously free until you want to go live for any like WordPress sites. And that's actually what I want to move forward to is like teaching kids how to like start to blog and do that with WordPress. So they don't necessarily need a lot of programming experience to do that, but just getting them involved with like, how do I start to express myself? And I know that a lot of times kids really struggle with that, with like being able to kind of share their emotions or let them know like what, what they're thinking. And I think that blogging and, you know, writing in a journal or whatever helps with that as well. So I think that's actually a really great avenue to move into as well. So we would definitely use Pantheon in that case. Yeah, well, absolutely. So, and, and that's why I asked, right? We could talk about this maybe at the bottom of the show, but uh, you, you guys have some really good tools that especially that could aid in the classroom, the technical side of, of teaching in the classroom. So Let's see. So you you started with a little bit of HTML, and then you taught them how to FTP to a server. You have a VPS, so I guess it was it like your own. It, was it like an IP address for them to access it, or did you have like your own domain pointing to that? Or yeah, so for most of the students, we just did an IP address, but I still created them subsidiary accounts. So as long as they use mm-hmm. the IP, they can log into their subsidiary account. And then we in that particular class, we never got to the point of actually doing domain names because that's Mm -hmm. about as far as we got for that year. But I think that it was set up in a way that they could easily just grab a domain name. I could grab one for them and actually assign that to that as well for them to be able to move on to. But that wasn't really like the idea of the class. Like, of course, it's great if they could have a website one day. But the idea was like, programming is awesome. I want to expand. I'm really doing it for the future, right? Like I spend a lot of time in diversity, like working on diversity initiatives, especially with women or, you know, with other race or whatever that might look like. And so if I can focus my teaching on individuals like that, I'm helping the future. And so that's exactly what this, this class was. It was a lot of, a lot of diverse uh, kids as well as there actually was a lot of girls in there and I was really excited about it. Nice. So yeah, so the goal was to just get them excited about programming and hopefully that they've learned enough that they can go out, start to Google stuff like all the rest of us do and actually make their own website. Yeah, absolutely. And so, I mean, not having a domain, I think is, it's not something I ever considered, but it's interesting. And it very clearly demonstrates the need for a domain too. So if they, if they're like, Hey, this is like a really hard thing to remember. How do I fix that? You know, maybe they can do that. You know, you you leave them wanting a little bit more and then they say, Oh, there are online courses that can help me do this or that. So have you considered using a tool like uh, CodePen or anything like that? I know like when I teach my students at the college level, HTML and CSS for the first time, I create some examples on CodePen and I tell them to modify it, you know, after like a little primer. Of course, I have a full semester to do that, though. And it sounds like your goal was, the main goal was, or the first main goal was to get them to FTP something and see, hey, I created this and now it's available online. Yeah, absolutely. So I really like CodePen and we did actually use CodePen for a couple of examples. So for the kids, it was a little bit easier 
mainly because there are some restrictions with school computers. So sometimes they're restricted in terms of internet, sometimes they're restricted in terms of programs. And so we started out with just having sublime text and then having like a normal browser that they can just open. So I wasn't sure like limitations in terms of like, can we go to CodePen's website? Can we go to other websites? So we were pretty limited, but I actually use CodePen like very heavily when I teach girl development classes. I've got like a whole set of collections of each class that I teach that whatever topic it is they're learning, they can go and find that collection and they can see the examples of what I'm trying to teach them. So I totally agree. CodePen is is awesome and a perfect example for being able to dig in and, and just tweak stuff. That's fantastic. Yeah, I'm a, a huge fan of CodePen. I have like a pro account to do the pro things, especially like in the classroom. You can do like live coding and have students like log in and like watch you on their machine if they want to do that. So a lot of cool stuff in the pro account. I'll also link to Chris Coyer's episode. He was on very early in the season in the series, graciously. Ooh. And we talked a little bit about CodePen. Cool. So when you when you put together the curriculum, well, actually, first of all, you said that you had kind of two groups of, of kids, right? You had the high schooler-ish crowd and the middle schooler-ish crowd. What was the biggest difference between those two groups? Their attitudes. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually funny because I, I thought that there would be a, a more of a learning curve with the middle school students, but I actually feel like that was a little bit less because they came in excited. They came in like wanting to do it. They were all for it. They were ready to learn where the high schoolers were like, yeah, I just have to do this. So I'm here. And it took them some, it took me, you know, the FTP thing really is when it, I felt like they kind of turned around. And so it took a lot more energy to like get them excited and get them involved where the middle schoolers were already there. So other than that, like, I, I feel like that was really the only difference was just in terms of high schoolers are sassy and middle schoolers aren't quite there yet for the most part. Yeah, I mean, teaching college freshmen, I can definitely fully agree with that statement, right? Especially, I would always pick the 8 a.m. class because I'm a very chipper morning person and (laughs) hungover college students are not. So, you know, doing whatever you can to get them excited about a thing that I taught a class they had to take. So getting them excited about this thing, like you said, is is very hard. And, And again, those quick wins. The first quick win for me was always letting them out early on the first day. It was like syllabus day. So we just read the syllabus and then I'd send them on their way. And then they'd be like, well, maybe this class isn't so bad. Um, <laughs> so that's fantastic. So you mentioned that you you do HTML and CSS. I am very curious to see how you approach CSS. You know, I have, an, I have a course uh, called an introduction to HTML and CSS. And I can find, I feel like grasping that concept is a little different, maybe a little bit harder than HTML because you teach tags, they do this thing. But with CSS, there's a lot more variance, right? So what's your approach to that? Totally. And I very much agree with that. I see that in in actual kids, and I also see that in adults as well. So what I like to do is I like to focus and spend a lot of time on the actual like syntax of CSS. So like really drilling into them, like what the properties are, what the values are, like how to actually write that. And we spend a significant amount of time on that. And I think that some of the adults, I can tell that sometimes they're like, I understand it. Like, let's move on. But I'm like, you, you, you really don't. Like, it, it yeah. gets very complicated. Mm-hmm. And so, just making sure that they feel 100% comfortable writing it, like making, like, we need the semicolon, we need the brackets, like closing that out, and just making sure that they just get through that syntax and, and get very comfortable with that. I feel like actually makes them a lot more successful. Again, people can get a little frustrated because they're like, I, I think I get it. Like, let's move on. And like, 
but getting through that point, I think is really important. I've also found a lot of really awesome documents and I'm sure, you know, others have found these too, but there's lots of like really nice charts for CSS that have like the shortcuts on there. Like here's the properties that you could possibly use. Here's some values. And of course it doesn't include everything, but having some type of cheat sheet like that has also been really helpful so that they can like physically as much as like being a developer, I feel like I should be all electronics. I actually really like tangible things in my hand. Like I like books. I like, exactly. I like paper handouts. I like all of that stuff. And so I would have those cheat sheets so that people could look at them and be like, oh, I just want to know what a text is. Because for Pete's sakes, like why is color not font color? Like, come right. on. <laughs> right. Yes. Oh yeah. Font style. Totally. Color, right. font color. No. This episode is also sponsored by the events calendar a free plugin by Modern Tribe. With over 11 million downloads, it's one of the most popular event management tools for WordPress. They are committed to open source, regularly adding new features to improve their plugin. Take Gutenberg, for example. They've gone all in developing solutions for the new block editor, and they've already released an extension for users to test out. Check out their latest work at theeventscalendar.com. That's theeventscalendar.com. While you're there, snag a 20% discount on their premium add-ons by using the code HOWIBUILTIT. That's HOWIBUILTIT, all one word. And now, back to the show. It's just Why? color. You're right, right, exactly. Yeah. So just so that they start to figure out that like there are some very odd naming conventions to some of these and like getting that syntax down first. Yeah, that's I agree a hundred percent. Especially about the having physical. Like, I buy computer books almost exclusively, and people are like, "Why? Like, if you have the digital version, you can search it." I don't know. There's just something about like dog earing a page or like highlighting that thing and then referencing it. I don't know. I like that feeling. It feels more tangible to me. It feels like I'm going to remember it better if I'm like interacting with the book as opposed to just I don't know. As an example. I Google the PHP date syntax every time I need it. Every <laughs> single time I'm doing something with the date. If it's not like year dash month dash day, I don't know what the syntax is. So, uh, don't don't feel bad. I do the very same thing. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> so, but maybe if I had a cheat sheet where I could like interact with it, I, maybe it would stick better. But uh, yeah, in any case, that's yeah, that's really cool. How far do you go with CSS? Is it like the Here's how you style certain elements. Here's how you make your simple HTML page pretty enough. So with the kids, we did the very basics. It was just, let's drill in on the syntax so that you can eventually start to build off of that if you want to. Let's do paragraphs. Let's do background colors. Let's do borders, kind of more of the aesthetics. We did start to dig into like displays and positioning a little bit, but that mm -hmm. can be very complicated as yeah. a, a new person digging in. Especially uh, so today with like the three or four types of ways to do it now. Yeah, no, we didn't touch flex or grid, unfortunately, yeah. which I think would be great to do, but it's just, it, it, it's pretty complicated. Yeah, it's a very cerebral thing for CSS. Totally agree. With my girl development classes, I actually dig further than that. What we do is we like to chat about CSS and get them really comfortable with like writing CSS. And then we like to talk about responsive design, or at least mm. I specifically do, because a lot of times when you are starting to learn CSS, you'll use like units of measure that you don't realize should actually probably not be used today. So maybe it's like, I want this column to be 300 pixels. And it's like, that's really great when you're starting to learn, but like, you really should be like, oh, I actually want that to be like 30% or right. whatever that kind of yeah. works out to. So we have a conversation about responsive design and how to accommodate that with like units of measure and, and different, you know, other pieces as well. 
And so we probably get about that far. And then we move on to more like web concepts, like servers and domain names and things like that. But there's so much to learn in CSS that it it actually would be really fun to just like teach a, let's get super deep and dirty with CSS and learn all the things. Yeah. I have gotten a request to do an advanced CSS class. So, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm considering that I'm in Gutenberg land right now, but I'm seriously considering that because it, it is, once you learn the basics, you're like, what else can I do with this? I think the approach of talking about units of measure for at least, you know, the girl develop it side is, is good because pixels are a, a more tangible thing, right? I have a thousand pixel area. I want my column to be 300 pixels. I, I know what that means. I can grok that, right? But like, what's three REM? Like, what is that? What's REM? What does that even mean? <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it's, uh, it's like how you learn the long way in math first, and then you learn the shortcut because you need to understand certain things, I guess. But That's so true. I was just going to say, like, when I, I do teach them, like, you know, REMs and M's and how they're units of measurement for a variety of things. And I can always see, like, they just kind of glaze over. They're like, I don't think they quite get it. Right. But I cover as much as I can to at least give them an idea of, like, this exists. It's something that you should look into once you feel comfortable and are ready to just really dig in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's what you that's what you do in like a, a a webinar or if you have a short class, right? You you introduce things that then the attendees could later Google, right? At least the intro stuff is like, well, I know what question I need to ask now. Exactly. And like REM is like slightly easier, right? Because it's always going back to the root element. You don't have to do that like like that adoption or child element math with that you have to do with m's but still it's weird like what's rem mean like relative m capital m who prints stuff like (laughs) (laughs) so uh man that's that's super interesting so we are coming up on time and i want to give you a little bit of an open-ended question which is if you're this is not the the my favorite question at the end this is just more of an open-ended question which is what's one piece of advice you wish you had when you first started teaching development that one's hard. I know. Teaching development came super natural for me. Nice. So I don't know. I think like just getting, probably just getting feedback in general was really beneficial. So I actually didn't struggle with teaching development, which was, which now that I think about it is, is really exciting and really cool and does make a lot of sense as to why I love it so much. Mm-hmm. I think it is something that I just naturally enjoy doing and I'm naturally good at. I really just love seeing people get that aha moment of Mm -hmm. like, I learned something and being responsible for that. And so it's actually come very natural. But I think like, in kind of looking back, I feel like what's really important is to actually obtain feedback and actually listen to that feedback. There are a couple of times that I would get feedback like this was super great, but I really wish that we would have talked about this more and getting that from multiple students was like, oh, awesome. I'm going to change my curriculum. So in teaching development, I think it's really important to take that feedback from your students and be willing to change and willing to to learn from them and expand on on that feedback. Yeah, that's I I love that. I mean, because it's not especially in the online course space, like people think that uh, once you have your curriculum or once you have your online course, it's like very passive, right? Somebody in the department at the school where I used to teach was like, well, this class is basically on autopilot now, right? You've been teaching it for a couple of semesters. And I'm like, no. I like redo the syllabus every semester almost because new stuff happens. Like I'm totally the textbook, which is just a web page was written in like 1995. 
Like, there's nothing about facial recognition in that textbook. Uh, like, and I want to talk about that now. So that's absolutely great advice because it, also it's easy to get jaded too, right? I don't know about you, but like, when I, you know, I, I uh, in teaching some of my classes now, they're like, I don't understand. Like, and I like, I'm really bad with computers, and I'm like, why are you in a graduate level computer class? And it's it's easy to get that attitude, but you're there. You know, I have to tell myself I'm there to teach them how to be good with computers now. So. Patience. So, yeah, patience. Super important. <laughs> Absolutely. It's easy to, you know, and if you react like that, that's fine. React like that. Don't take it out on the student, though. You want to, because, you know, you can get frustrated. That's fine. But still yep. help them. What was your... Do what, it when you get to your car or get home. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you mentioned the aha moment. Do you remember your aha moment? Because I totally remember my aha moment with programming. So I do, for whatever reason, floats and positions... I like just could never get it. I spent a lot of time on it. And to be fair, when I learned programming, there was no classes, there was no mm. community groups, there was no meetups, there yep. was and if that stuff was around, I lived in a super small town in northern Minnesota, so it didn't exist for me. So I really struggled to learn programming because I didn't have a lot of that stuff. So my aha moment was figuring out how floats actually worked and being able to like have various columns in various places and then continue those columns, but be able to kind of move them around. And when I did that, like I just started crying and my husband was like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, oh my gosh, I did it. Yeah, and I got it. It, it was like, I, he's like, why are you crying? I'm like, I'm so happy. Yeah. Like I cannot, I've just, it was like this amazing moment. So yeah, it was awesome. That's, and of course, I've had multiples of those, but that was my first. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I don't really remember my first HTML, CSS aha moment. It was maybe my friend showing me like, I guess, positioning, like Z-index. I remember him specifically showing me yeah, yeah. Z-index with like two hollow squares. So there was just the border. And I saw like the two squares intersect. And I'm like, this is crazy. <laughs> um, <laughs> but my first aha moment in programming was after my first semester of Java, which was my first semester of programming ever, didn't go that well. It was very hard. But I was writing like PHP after that because I had to write PHP for this. I was doing a new advanced thing and like I, I don't know, I wrote an if statement and I actually saw it like shake out and it was like two in the morning in my dorm room. And I'm like, man, this worked on the first try. I, I get control structures now. I just remember going, I totally understand them now as opposed to just writing them. And ah. yeah, and like, the, so like remembering that story helps me empathize with my students who are learning Python right now for the first time. And they're like, I've never seen anything like this. I'm like, no, I know. I know you haven't. It's very hard and you're not going to get it at the end of these eight weeks. And I know that. So just take it <laughs> slow. Ask questions. So Awesome. Well, we're at the end of time. I have two more questions for you. One is where can people find you into that later? The first one is, do you have any trade secrets for us? <laughs> so I saw this question on there and I wanted to come up with something, something, you know, sassy, because that's totally me. <laughs> but honestly, like trade secrets in terms of like teaching development is really just, I feel like is being a human being that cares about other human beings. And I know that that sounds like something super common to just be like, well, of course I care about other human beings, but actually sitting down and thinking about and relating to the other human beings that are in that class. I had, I mean, kids obviously a little bit different and that was very emotional for me, especially some of those stu like students hearing the things that they were going home to or the things that they went through. But in terms of adults as well, it's like I had students that were coming in that were 
in, you know, really bad careers or in really bad life places. And they wanted to change that. And so really actually stepping back and seriously thinking about what their life is like and how you can help them can be very emotional, but can also be incredibly rewarding. There are multiple women that have moved on to actually having careers in development. And I started that and it is the most amazing feeling in the entire world. So be a good human that cares about other humans when you are are kind of working in this and in general, just in life, we all need that more. Absolutely. And we all need that reminder. I'm going to like record this and just play it when I need to. Like that'll be like my easy button sound, <laughs> you know, when I get frustrated when I forget what my students are going through. That's excellent advice. Uh, it's It's very, very rewarding to be a teacher. Cool. Well, Tessa, thanks so much for joining me today. Where can people find you? Yeah, well, people can find me all over the internet as Tessa K22. That's pretty much my username for like everything. But if you are interested in learning more about Coders of Tomorrow, or if you're interested in learning more about that curriculum, feel free to reach out. Uh, Coders of Tomorrow is the millennial way that you would spell tomorrow. So it's Coders of and then TMRW.org. So check it out. If you want to teach kids in your area, I would love to chat with you and help expand the organization as well. So Fantastic. And I will link all of those in the show notes as well. Tessa, thanks again for joining me. I had a blast. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was great. Thanks again to Tessa for being on the show. She's a great person to know in the WordPress community and in general. She's dedicated and passionate. She also offers some great tips for teaching and learning web development. My question for you this week is what was your aha moment in whatever it is you do? You can email your answers to joe at howibuilt.it or post your answer over at our Facebook community. Thanks again to our sponsors, Pantheon and the Events Calendar. Definitely check them out. They are two companies that are so dedicated to the community that I am proud to have them as supporters of this show. For all of the show notes, head over to howibuilt.it slash 87. If you like the show, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and a review. It really helps people discover the show. You can also join the Facebook community I just mentioned over at howibuilt.it slash Facebook. I want to build a strong community for this podcast, and Facebook is the place to do it. Thanks for joining me, and until next time, get out there and build something. Music